Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. All right, good morning. We've had some sound issues, so I'm going to try to use the mic that I know is uh, working, so bear with me for just a second. I love that last part of that song that says, uh, you're never going to let me down. It just got me thinking that uh, a lot of things in life do let us down. Our uh, families will let us down. Our spouses will let us down. Our, our friends will let us down. Our jobs will let us down. There's a lot of things that will let us down, but God will never let us down. But a lot of times, we blame God as if God is the one who lets us down. And that's what we're going to see with Jonah this morning. We're in the middle of our teaching series, and we're actually starting the last chapter this morning. So Jonah's a short uh, book, and we've kind of saw the start of it where God gave this call in Jonah's life, and Jonah had had some success uh, prior to this call, and he decided that he was going to disobey and do the complete opposite of what God called him to do. And so he rebelled, and he went the other way, and then... We saw the, the ship that looked like it was going to sink into the ocean. And so what happens as a result is Jonah says, look, I'm the reason for this. And so they hurl him into the ocean. He thinks, I'm dying. There's this despair in my life. And then what happens? This big fish, or we like to say this well, came and rescued Jonah. But he didn't die there. He stayed there for three days. And then he was spit into uh, the uh, back onto the land where he had been saved. And so this week, um, you would think, well, actually, then he goes into to Nineveh, sorry, he goes into Nineveh, and then they repent. And so a lot of times people think that's where the story ends, that, man, this kind of ends on a high note, right? Like Jonah obeyed God the second time, he disobeyed the first time, and this is where the story is going to end. But this is probably one of the most interesting endings to a book of the Bible, where it doesn't end on this note. So we're actually going to look at Jonah's angry prayer this week that parallels his prayer from chapter 2. And then we're going to look at Jonah's self-centeredness and his hypocrisy uh, within his life. Now, there's something interesting I was thinking about this week. The longer you walk with the Lord, the longer that you are a Christ follower, a a Christian, it's like at some point it slips into a lot of our minds that you have graduated, that you have gone from the JV team of learning what it means to follow Jesus to the varsity team of knowing what it means to follow Jesus. I think it's a danger for those of of us like myself, who I grew up in church from the time I was an infant. And then I went to, uh, I skipped Bible college uh, by God's grace, but um, no offense if you went to Bible college, but then I went to seminary later on. So that's a dangerous seminary as well, that you fill your head with this knowledge of of theology and doctrine. You kind of go like, I I know this, right? Um, I I hate to admit it, but I was that that young seminarian at one point. You know, I meet a seminarian who's 22, 23 years old, and they have it all together, and they have it all figured out. And I'm thinking, man, just wait just a little bit longer. And even now in my mid-30s, I'm sure that people in their 40s and 50s look at me in that exact same way. But we get this mentality that somehow we've graduated beyond um, what, what others know. And in some ways, we graduate beyond God's mercy and grace, and that we know better than God. That we actually know what's best for our lives. Now, as much as this pains me to admit this, and some of you heard this story, uh, we served overseas in India for a couple of years. And India is a really, really hard place to live. And I know a few of you have been to India. And it's, um, it's one of the least re- it's the least reached country in the entire world. And then the, we were working in the least reached area of that country. And so my team supervisor always said, we're working in the most concentrated area of lostness on the planet. And so just walk out the, your door, and there's lost people everywhere. Well, after a couple of years, God brought us back to the U.S., and uh, it was a really hard transition for me. But somehow along the way, it kind of had snuck into my heart 
I wouldn't have verbally said this, that I, I knew what was best in my life. I found myself really angry at God. Like, God owed me. I was like, God, listen, I'm on the varsity team here. Like, I said yes, and I went to India of all places. You know, there's other places in other parts of the world. I could have gone to be a missionary. I could have been like in Italy, or I could have been in Argentina, or I could have been in France. But you took me to India, and I said yes, God. Like, God, now you owe me. Like, where's my cushy church job? And I was applying for jobs like crazy, and I was actually getting some interviews. And, and, and then uh, I would always get into that top candidacy. Maybe you've been there, and you're like the top three, and you're like, okay, this is it. And then they say, sorry, you went with one of the other candidates. We're, you're just not the right fit. Time and time again, and I was, uh, we moved back, we had nothing. We had, you know, no furniture. We'd given all our belongings away. It felt like we had no friends. All of our friends, if you're tuning in this morning, we're glad that we're still friends with you, but it felt like they had all moved on. They found new friends. Like their Friday night, Saturday night people were no longer us. It was other people. And it was just this really hard transition. It felt like our church didn't even realize that we were gone or didn't know who we were because they had grown so much. And so my 40-hour work week was looking for um, jobs, and I finally landed a job. And here's where I land this job, at a Stumptown coffee counter. Now, we love Stumptown. Um, I love coffee. It was in a bean-to-bar chocolate factory, which smelled amazing because they would roast the, the, the cocoa beans or cacao beans, and it would just smell like chocolate all the time, and the coffee was really good. But I was making like 12 bucks an hour, and that's just not going to feed a family. And so I found myself, and I remember just being angry with God in my heart, and the Lord pressed upon me. And he left me with this, this impression. What if? What if? You work here at this coffee counter for the rest of your life. What if this is what I have for you? Are you still willing to serve me? Are you still willing to be a missionary for the rest of your life for my glory if it means doing it at this coffee counter? Now, I tell you that story, and maybe you can relate to it. Maybe you got that own version of that story in your life. But this is where Jonah has found himself at the start of chapter 4. Jonah had experienced ministry success and I don't usually talk about that side of things, but for the time that we were in India, the brief time we were there, you would say that we had success, that we got to see numerous churches started. People gave their life to Jesus. Disciples were made. To date, it's the most fruitful ministry season that I have had in my life. And I don't tell you that and say, oh, look at me, but I can relate to Jonah where he had some success, and he didn't want to go to pagan Nineveh. He didn't want to do the next thing that God had called him to do, but eventually he goes, and what he feared would happen if he went actually happens. And as a result of it happening, here's what Jonah has in his heart. He has resentment for God opening the door for others, including pagans. And then Jonah is angry with God about God's grace. On the topic of anger, Eric Redmond points out, he says, anger is powerful. And at some point it grabs each of us in its clutches. He goes on to differentiate between righteous anger and unrighteous anger. I think sometimes as Christians we think, man, all anger is bad, all anger is wrong. It's actually not. There's righteous anger. It can, be, it can be a good power when under control. The most common example that we like to point to is our Lord cleansed the temple because it was not right for people to make a marketplace out of temple courts. Now, a lot of times we'll justify our unrighteous anger by saying, look what Jesus did. Well, it was righteous anger and it was justified. And then he helps us with unrighteous anger. His unrighteous anger, however, is very dangerous. Sadly, for numerous reasons, many people struggle with feelings of unrighteous anger. They live with this gnawing sense of injustice within their daily routine, or they experience it as part of a haunting past and ongoing mistreatment. And so a lot of this bears, boils down to expectations, right? Now, if I've learned one thing in my adult life, let's just say the last four years in the city of Portland, expectations are huge. Uh, each year I learn, I, you got to communicate better your expectations. You got to let people know. So even this summer we had interns. We still have one intern left there, and we're glad that you're still here. But I said, man, I got to give them the expectations because three years ago this happened. 
and apparently their expectation wasn't set right. And so we kind of set those expectations. But for Jonah, he has this expectation of justice. And that expectation was not met. That's often the case with our own lives. And the circumstances of his life made him angry with God because he didn't see this expectation being met. And so here we are at the start of chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them there. Jonah 4. We're going to be looking at the first four verses, and I believe the words will be on the screen behind me as well. And once again, this is that chapter that nobody saw coming. Because last week he got to the place, he obeyed, and they repented. And you think, let's end the story there. It ends really, really well, but that's not actually where it ends. And so our main point of our sermon this morning, what we're going to see is that Jonah's anger over the Lord's mercy toward the Ninevites reveals God's merciful character, his compassion, but also reveals uh, Jonah's, uh, his true heart, where his heart is at, his idolatry. And so let me read for us again. I know I read the beginning, but let me just read for it again as you read along with me. Verses 1 through 4. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. So he's kind of given his excuse, right? He's justifying what he did. Like, hey, God, I told you this was going to happen. This is why I fled. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. Now, wait a minute. This kind of sounds like Jonah earlier on. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Now, to help us guide, guide us through this text, I've adopted and adapted Eric Redmond's three reasons why Jonah seems angry. First, Jonah expected consistency from God. Second, Jonah had problems with the character of God. Third, Jonah was angry with the freedom of God to be God. It's funny when, when you think about those points, you think about anger. I, always, I don't know why I always think about worship songs because we never sing Right? I, worship is like the cry of our hearts, but sometimes I'm like, I almost wonder if we should write a worship song that's like brutally honest. And maybe there are some of those and I've just missed them, but they always seem to be like pointing up, which I agree, they should be pointing upward to Jesus, but almost to be like, I was angry, or I was this, or I'm in despair towards you. And so in verse 1, we see the, the, that the first, ex, um, the, the first reason for his anger is Jonah expected this consistency from God. But here's the thing. He expected consistency, but he expected it to take a certain form. He expected it to take the form of his own consistency. And so he was defining what that consistency should actually look like, right? We do this in relationships all the time. Andrea and I do this in our relationship as a couple, right? She has an ex- expectation of, of consistency. And so if I wash the dishes one way one day and then another way the other day, like she's going to be upset because there's a consistency after you've been married for 14 years. It's supposed to be done a certain way. But in verse 1, we see it says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. So Jonah's angry because God has shown mercy to repentant sinners. Right? Here's Jonah, the guy who who proclaims this truth, but he's now angry that God is showing mercy to people who need God's mercy rather than God falling through in destruction. So Jonah, once again, he thinks he knows better than God. He goes, God, you need to to, um, rain down your vengeful wrath on these people, not your mercy. So Jonah wanted God to judge the Ninevites with his wrath and not extend the mercy and grace that Jonah himself had received. Now, last week in chapter 3, the pagans repented of their evil ways and sin, 
And as a result, God relented of this threat of disaster, right? Because there was this warning. Remember, the warning was 40 days from now. This is going to happen to you if you do not repent. And miraculously, all of them repented, and they changed their ways. And so God said, okay, I'm going to relent from what I said I was going to do because you repented. And so it appears that chapter 4, that now the Ninevites are somehow in harmony with God, but Jonah, God's servant, the one who was called to go there, is not, as he is now expressing his displeasure with God. Jonah clearly doesn't get it. Once again, this is only like a four chapters. One would think that after being hurled into the sea, by being swallowed by a large fish, by being spit out three days later, that you would recognize these events as God's mercy and grace in your own life, and you would have learned the lessons by now that you would get it. But here we are, two chapters later, and, and Jonah is angry with God for the same mercy and grace that he experienced. So he was thankful when he experienced it, and he cried out to God this wonderful prayer in chapter 2. But here he is in chapter 4, and he's angry that God's giving that same mercy and grace to somebody else. Jonah clearly doesn't get God's mercy and grace. Now, initially, this is a, a shocking response because Jonah would be considered successful. His mission to Nineveh, I mean, they, it says they repented. That would be like a church planter being called to the city of Portland, going out and proclaiming to all the city, hey, in 40 days, Portland's going to burn down. We thought that was going to happen last summer, and it didn't. But, you know, we're going to, this is what you got to do. You got to repent. And then it would be like the entire city repenting and mass revival breaking out in the city of Portland. That's what his mission would have been like. I tell you, if a church planner does that, they're going to be in every TV channel. They're going to be in all the magazines. They're going to be, you know, all these things because he had success. But even though this is a shocking response that they actually repented, I imagine you've been where Jonah is. Maybe you're there this morning. Maybe you're angry with God. Maybe you don't know why. Maybe you do. Or maybe you found your, yourself angry at someone, someone in your life, family member, friend, coworker. Or maybe there's something that you're angry about that happened to you, some injustice. Or maybe you are just angry at God. And so what do you do? Maybe you slam down your fist, or maybe you throw your phone and crack at your screen. Maybe you throw a pity party, right? Yeah, sure, you don't do that in front of all of us, right? And all of us are like, I'm good. It's been a good week. You know, maybe on the way here, something happened, and you're just like, ah, you know, I don't know about our family. It's on Sunday mornings. I'm like, why is this the most stressful morning of the week, right? Like, get behind me, Satan. Like, we're trying to get ready, and think. every other week, every other day seems fine, and it's Sunday morning. This is just what happens. The same way growing up. We were always running late. And it was always kind of my dad was ready to go and my mom wasn't ready to go. And, you know, but um, I don't know what it looks like now for them. But, <laughs> you know, it's always like Sunday's this hard day. But what we see here more on a more serious note, we see Jonah, the creature, the one who's been created. He's accusing the God, the creator of sin and injustice. So he's actually pointing a finger at God and saying, God, you're doing wrong. God, you are sinning. God, you, you are um, exemplifying injustice instead of recognizing that God is always right. God is always right. My anger must mean that something is wrong with me, not with God. And so Jonah expected consistency from God. They expected it to come in a form of how he defined it, and that's not how God works. God doesn't work on our terms. God works on God's terms. Second reason that we see that Jonah was angry at God. said so Jonah, he had problems with the character of God. In verse 2, it says, O Lord... Is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And so Jonah has a problem with God showing grace, with God being the one who gives his favor to people. 
Jonah takes issue with God being merciful, one who cares for people tenderly and compassionately as a mother would care for their child. And Jonah despairs of God for being slow to anger. Like Jonah comes in and chides God for being extremely patient, for not giving out a deserved judgment immediately on sinners, but for giving undeserved persons a chance after chance to turn away from their sin and destruction and turn toward God and his holiness. And so that, that must make us ask a question. Does, God re- does Jonah really want our God to be quick to anger? I mean, think about it. If God had been quick to anger, would Jonah be at the point where he's at right now and able to accuse God? No. Jonah has angst about abounding in faithful covenant-keeping love in spite of his action of his rebellious people. It's like Jonah has a memory problem, right? And I think all of us can relate to that memory problem because his prayer just a couple weeks ago, he was praising God for his mercy and grace and thank you for having this grace on me. It's this prayer of desperation. And then here we are just two chapters later and it's complete opposite prayer and he's complaining to God and accusing God of something. And Jonah's question is essentially, God, how can you claim to be God of justice and allow such evil and violence to go unpunished? And so Jonah, in his mind, he's seeing a contradiction between the justice of God and the love of God. Maybe you're there. You know, I know, once again, the Bible, we, we believe in the word of God. It's inspired. It's authoritative. But it can be confusing, especially when you're like saying the Old Testament, New Testament, you know? And so maybe you're, you're the place where Jonah is. And you say, man, God, there's this contradiction. How can this work, right? I hear people a lot of times today say, well, there's contradictions in Scripture. I'm like, well, one, have you actually studied it? You know, like, sure, someone can say something from a stage, and you go, man, there's a contradiction in Scripture. Well, I'd say, study it. Go back to the text. Go learn the original languages. Or go get a, a software or tool. Or go walk with someone who has studied it before you just throw out the accusation. It's really, th- really easy to throw out accusations. And we see that this steadfast love, when extended to Jonah, it filled him with thanksgiving. He's happy. He's thankful. But when extended to the Ninevites, it filled him with anger. He's angry at God for giving his mercy and grace to a people who God had called him to go to. And so oddly enough, the compassionate character of God is actually the root of Jonah's anger. It's God's compassion. And his love and his mercy and grace is what's causing Jonah to be angry. Now, I think it's, it's important to note this. Jonah wasn't actually necessarily wrong for his concern. For only a generation later, and that's not included in the book, but a generation later, the Ninevites returned to their old ways. What Jonah said would happen actually does eventually happen. It's like, once again, let's just say the entire city of Portland repented, and all of a sudden we're known as like the uh, epicenter of Christianity in the, in the United States, and we're all like, this is amazing, and then a generation later, Portland returns to its status that it is in now. And so Jonah wasn't actually wrong, and in Jonah's mind, if God had only wiped them out, that this wouldn't have been the case. Yet here we are. And so for us, maybe in more recent history, modern examples might be someone like Hitler or Stalin or Osama, Osama bin Laden. The thinking being, if God had only wiped them out and all of their followers, and if he'd done it a lot sooner, a lot of unbearable evil would have been avoided. So why didn't he? Why didn't God do that? I think about even now, and you know, as we, we, we fight in um, extreme um, terrorist states, and you think, why does God just wipe those people off the face of the earth? Why doesn't God do that? Because God, that's why. Because God is gracious and compassionate, that's why. Because God is slow to anger and he's abounding in love, that is why. And this was the complaint of Jonah that he brought against God. This is what fueled his anger toward God because God is gracious and compassionate, because God is slow to anger and abounding in love. Maybe this is why you found yourself angry at God. Maybe there's some wrong or injustice that, 
has been done towards you or you feel has been done towards you or maybe it's done towards another group of people that you've witnessed and experienced of maybe the vulnerable or, or innocent and you're mad at God in your mind for not doing enough or for not doing anything about it because you go, God, I know that you could end this, right? I think the, of the exploitation of, of women. I think about uh, children being sold into to slavery and all these things that happen on a, a global scale. We think, man, God, I'm mad at you. I'm angry because why are you allowing this to happen? I had to turn to Romans 3, verses 11 and 12. It reminds us, it says, no one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So in Jonah's mind, Jonah is doing good. Jonah knows the definition of good, but the others, the, the Ninevites, are not. But what this passage shows is that God doesn't need our permission to extend grace in someone's life. He just swoops in and does it. And praise God that he does. Otherwise, you and I wouldn't have experienced God's mercy and grace in our lives. We would still be wandering aimlessly in this life. I don't know about you, but I can't imagine where I'd be without God's mercy and grace. Occasionally, I think about that, you know, just kind of food for thought. And I think, where would I be? What trajectory would my life have had if I had not experienced that? I like how Tim Keller describes it in his book, The Prodigal Prophet. He says, when a fish leaves water, which he was built for, he is not free, but dead. In other words, we think, man, we know better than God, and there's this freedom that comes with that. But we actually don't know what we don't know. And living for anything else besides God leads to death, not freedom. I shared this the other night, our worship night, if you were with us, which was a phenomenal night, by the way. I just love the, the intimacy that we had that night in worship. I got a lot of good feedback from that. If you missed it, prioritize it next time. We're going to have another one, hopefully, in the next few months. And um, just really, really good night. But I challenged us that night. I just felt like God pressed this upon my, my heart for kind of a preview for this passage, is that maybe you are angry at God. Maybe there's something about God's mercy and grace that actually makes you angry. You're glad that you've experienced it, but maybe you're, you're angry because God's extended it to others. Or maybe you feel like God hasn't ex- done it in the way that you'd want him to do. There's no better way, there's no better moment than right now, this morning, to figure out why. You know, I, I look at a passage like this, and I think about our culture, our city, like God can handle it. God can handle your questions. God can handle your anger. Right? So I think sometimes we try to convince people, like, oh, don't do this, do this. And there's, there's a, I know there's a real part of, like, accountability and loving it and doing it in community. But also, like, if God is God, and I think God is God, God can handle it. But my prayer is that God would soften your heart. My prayer is that God would, you and God would figure that out. You and God would do business. And third, what we see, the reason that Jonah, what fueled his anger, he was angry with the freedom of God to be God. Verse 3 says, oh, Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. Proverbs 19, 3, it says, When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. So whenever we are angry, whenever we have anger, and it's not a righteous anger, our anger really is directed at God for being God. For your life maybe not going the way that you want. Think about those people in your life that you want God to change them or you want them to change God does not have to change one's parents, your child, or spouse immediately because he is slow to anger. God does not have to judge thieves or cheats or liars or cruel people harshly because God is merciful and gracious. You might see someone and go, man, they need to be just harsher. They need, they need this judgment and wrath. But God knows best, and he is the ruler over all, and he's free to move on someone's heart when he sees fit and to do it the way that he sees this goes back to midweek prayer. When we come in, we go, God, we don't know what's best. We're recognized. That's the recognition of our heart. But we are beckoning at you. God, we pray for this. And we have our ways, and we think we know what's best. But, God, ultimately, we know that you know what's best because you can see the timetable of eternity. 
and you know when, what is best and when it is best. And so in Jonah's first prayer in chapter 2, we see he was grateful for his life that was brought up from the pit and his soul was revived, which makes it odd now that when God extends the same mercy to the Ninevites, you think that, that Jonah would rejoice, that God listened, but instead Jonah wishes his life and soul would be taken from him. And Jonah should have learned by now that you can't control God even by his disobedience because God will always be God. What Jonah's doing is he's throwing an adult um, t- uh, tamper, a tantrum. You know, I think about my kids, right? And I say, hey, I know we're going to do movie night, or I know we're going to have popcorn, I know we're going to get candy, I know we're going to do this. And then they do something and say, we're not, we're not going to do that, right? Or there's going to be some kind of punishment there. And they stomp their feet and they slam their door and they go to the room. That's what Jonah's doing. Jonah's doing an adult version of that. The reality is we all do that too. We might do it with roommates. We might do it with our spouse. Usually we don't want people to see that side of us on Sundays, right? We're like, things are good. But he's throwing a, an adult tantrum because God will always be God. He will always be in absolute control of all things. And God's working all things out for his own good. He's reconciling all things back to himself. And here's the reality, church. That's for our good. That is for our good. And what these verses do is they're revealing really this internal problem from the deepest level of Jonah's life. They're revealing a heart problem. What Jonah has here is it's idolatry. Now, we may think we aren't like Jonah. We think, no, I'm not like Jonah. I've learned, you know, I know this story. But we're like Jonah every time we throw a pity party for not getting our way. That significant other that for some reason doesn't seem like it's God's will for us to be together. Or that job that you really, really wanted, but you got passed up for it. That promotion that you knew that you were due, but somebody else got it. And so on and so forth. We're just like Jonah. Every time we throw a pity party, why didn't I get my way? I deserve this. I've worked hard for this. How come, God? Why didn't it work out this way? Or worse, and and I want to take this very seriously, but... This is what happened to Jonah. He falls into depression. This is a real thing, right? I'm, I can't remember the stat, but I know Portland's one of the more depressed cities in our country. And what happens is you'll check out mentally and emotionally from relationships as you despair and take it to the most serious and fatal degree. And maybe some of you have been there. So once again, I want to be sensitive to this, but you can get to this downward spiral and not even realize it until you have the desire, like Jonah, for your life to be over. Because you think that if it's over and that it's ended, it will solve all of your problems. Please know if you're there or if you found yourself there, if you ever find yourself there, we are here for you. We are a church that wants to take those things seriously. We're a church that talks about our value of family, and we mean that. And that doesn't mean the times are always good. That doesn't mean we're always having potlucks and, and cookouts and throwing cornhole. That means sometimes people are struggling. That means sometimes people are on their, their last straw, their wits end. They just want to see their life maybe ended or they're, maybe they're in depression. We want to be there for you, so please, please hear that. But this is where Jonah has found himself. And so at this point in Jonah, he's lost something. He's lost his means to go on. He doesn't see the purpose any longer in life, which means he has replaced God as his main source of joy. He's replaced God as his reason for living. He's replaced God as the love of his life. Once again, I think Jonah had the right answers. If you'd asked him at the beginning of this, he would have said, no, God's the love of my life and my main priority. But here we see that he has replaced that with something else. And his explosive anger, what does it show us? It shows us his willingness to toss out the relationship with God if he does not get his way. It's like, you know what, God? It's like an ultimatum. God, if you don't do this, if I don't get my way, then I'm done. I don't want this relationship with you. Have you ever been there? Have you ever threatened to toss out your relationship with God if you don't get your way? 
I know I've had seasons in my life where I just said, God, I'm done with this. I know people always think, oh, but if you're in, if you're in vocational ministry, you're full-time, or you're a pastor, like, you never go through those times. Guys, you go through those times all the time. There's days I wake up going, do I really believe this? <laughs> do I really want to do this? Do I still want to pastor? Do I still want to do, I still want to do these things? And so do you ever threaten to toss out your relationship with God because you aren't getting your way? And before you're quick to think, maybe you're not like Jonah. Maybe you don't have any idols in your life. Every time you say or think, probably most of you don't say it out loud, but you probably think this from time to time. I won't serve you, God, if you don't give me X. But there's this, this thing that you just have to have. and Say, God, I'm done serving you. I'm done following you. I'm done doing these things. Then X is your true bottom line. That's your highest love. That's your real God. That's the thing you most trust in and rest in is whatever that, might, that item or that person or that success might be, that is the thing that you are trusting in in that moment. That you say, if I don't get this, then I'm done. Now, what was this for Jonah? It was Nineveh's repentance because it was pleasing to God. But here's the thing, and we don't necessarily get this unless we um, kind of gravitate towards more of the uh, cultural, uh, contextual pieces of this. But for Jonah, for the Ninevites to repent, yes, it was pleasing to God, but the reason it wasn't pleasing to, no, uh, to Jonah is it was threatening to Israel's natural interest. In other words, we see kind of um, countries at play here, right? Once again, this isn't the reason of this message. I'm not going to get into this, but I think over the last, you know, four plus years, and uh, there's this kind of like political pride and one side or the other, or we'll hear like Christian nationalism, for example, and that's kind of what, in a sense, this is what this is talking about, that that can become an idol in your life, that you can be more about your country at the expense of others or more about your thing. And so, once again, anytime you add anything to, to Christianity or to Jesus, it's like doing like the Galatians. So, yes, there's nothing wrong with having pride in our nation, right? I mean, my wife shows me an example of this every, every day. Like, Argentina is, like, very, very prideful, right? And rightfully so. They just won the Copa America. Woo! Go Messi. But as Christians, that should not be our top priority. But for some of us, that's what that's become. Maybe not so much in Portland, but other parts of the country. And so it was threatening to Israel's national interest. But what is that thing in your life? What is that thing that you say, God, if I don't have this, then I just can't follow you any longer. God, what is that thing that if you just have it, you can't serve God any longer? Ask God to search your heart. Give that thing over to God, whatever it is. God brought Jonah to the point that what was truly in his heart came out of his mouth. Once again, most of us won't actually say it, but Jonah just comes out flat out and says it. This is when you're with that friend who says something they shouldn't have said, and you're all like, oh, they just went there. They just said that. I've been there. I've stuck my foot in my mouth many, many times. Mark 7, 15 says, There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And so for Jonah, that was already there. That idolatry was already in his heart. The, the anger towards God's mercy and grace was deep down inside. It wasn't that he had been affected by the Ninevites. It wasn't that he went to Nineveh and all of a sudden, man, Jonah's changed. You know, I hear that sometimes. And you go, oh, man, somebody went to Portland, this, this least religious, most atheistic city, and then they, it changed him. No, it didn't. It didn't. I'm convinced. It was already inside. It was deep down eternal. Maybe they moved from an area of the country and they knew the lingo and they, they knew how to dress and how to act. They moved here. And what was already in their heart, what was already in their life, it came out on the surface. So it's not out, the outside that causes the defilement, but it was inside that does. And we see that God was doing a work in Jonah and driving out the pharisaical spirit where he felt that he deserved God's mercy and grace, but the Ninevites did not. Now, we would rarely verbalize it, but I think we oftentimes find ourselves there. We believe we deserve God's mercy and grace because we've done something special. But then also we believe that others, I'll just kind of put others, have messed up to the point they are no longer deserving of it. Someone who's continued to return to a sin or 
someone, you know, who, who, who does, I see this happen a lot on, um, I think about church staffs and I think about larger churches and there's a, you know, a, a fall from grace or a fall from ministry kind of thing. And I understand that's real and they need to be held accountable and they need to repent. But a lot of times in the church, we like to just kind of cancel that person and pretend they never existed. I don't think we see that in the Bible. There's still mercy and grace even for that individual. That doesn't mean what they did is, is, is right and justified. There's a process that they need to go through, especially at the expense of others. Sometimes this has been abusive leadership, and sometimes this has been a moral failure. And so there's things that we need to see happen, but I say that there's still mercy and grace for that individual. Mercy and grace that they would also return back in repentance to God. Because here's the reality. Jonah thought he deserved it, and the Ninevites didn't. The reality is none of us deserve it. None of us deserve God's mercy and grace. None of us earned it. You can't do enough for God to earn it. I think sometimes, once again, the longer you're in church, the longer you're following God, you think, man, I'm going to earn this. I'm going to pull up my bootstraps, and I'm going to go to five Bible studies a week. Or I'm going to, am I going to attend my church in the morning and another church in the evening? I'm going to find a Wednesday night church, and, you know, I'm going to pray. I'm going to fast. All those things are good, but you, sometimes you can find yourself in this trap and think, I'm going to earn it. And, man, I've earned it. I mean, God, I went to India for two years, for crying out loud. Like, I've earned this, God, right? Like, I've got that spot in heaven, and it's kind of like right next to Jesus sitting on the throne. But... None of us have earned it. None of us deserve it. But here's the good news. But God, you know, it's usually really good news, encouraging news when you sent scripture. But God gives us time and time again his mercy and his grace. Why? Because he is a gracious God and merciful. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Amen. That is good, good news. The truth is that Jonah and we really do not want God to be anything other than God. Think of the alternatives. For Jonah, he would have been fish food. The Ninevites would have been destroyed. All of us would eternally perish and be separated from God. Which is why we as believers must seek after God as he is revealed in Scripture. Not what we think we want him to be in our minds. Jonah was interpreting how he wanted God to be. Not how God had actually described himself. We find our attitudes despairing of the Lord's mysterious sovereign freedom behind his grace, his mercy, his patience, and his covenant faithfulness, right? There's, there's this mysteries to scripture. In some ways, I think that's a good thing because if we could all figure it out, then we probably would be God. We have to trust in his sovereign freedom as God behind his grace, behind his mercy, and we must humbly return to the cross and the empty tomb in order to gain a perspective that is cleansed by the blood of Christ and invigorated by the resurrection power. And so let God be God and hear his words. And verse four says, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry? Now, the heart of this chapter tells us this, that God loves you. And so if you are in Christ, then you know this by the glorious reality of his grace, intercepting your life and drawing you to faith in Christ. And Christ has done more than make salvation possible. He actually saved you. That is incredible and should cause us to, to worship God day in and day out. And if you are not yet in Christ, then I want you to know that Christ came into the world for you. And when he died on the cross, he had you in view. God took the initiative by sending his son Jesus into the world. Jesus who went to the cross and took on our sin, our guilt, and our shame. Jesus who reigned victorious three days later when he rose from the grave. And so the invitation for you today is to allow Christ to break into your life by following him in faith and repentance. And for all of us, whether you're in Christ or not yet in Christ, what this means is that God does not love you because of your background. 
God doesn't love you because you're intelligent. God doesn't love you because your good looks or your prayers or your ministry, your commitment, your faith, or your good life. In other words, God takes your resume and he rips it up because none of that is why God loves you. God loves you, church, because he loves you. And that should lead us to worship. And that's how we're gonna respond this morning. And so my prayer for you is that the magnitude of God's grace may grip your heart and lead you to worship because God loves you because of his mercy and grace, not because of anything you did. Pray with me, church. God, we've looked at a passage this morning that in many ways can be a a difficult one to look at as we see the anger that Jonah has in his life towards you for being merciful and gracious. God, may we be ones who would recognize your mercy and grace, and not only in our lives, but in the lives of others. God, our prayer is that you would extend that to others. God, we know that you're slow to, to anger and abounding in steadfast love, but God, our prayer is that you would extend your mercy and grace to the city of Portland. God, every man, woman, and child here, that you extend your mercy and grace to the state of Oregon and to our nation, and God, to unreached people groups around the world. God, that is the prayer of our hearts. God, where we have anger in our hearts, God, we ask you to search our hearts this morning and that we can give those things over to you. God, we can be honest with you on why we're angry, whether it's a hurt or a wound or something in our past or something in our present. God, that you would soften that and that we can give that over to our Father who loves us with a reckless love. It's in your name and by your power, God, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.